you can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I woke up this morning uh, feeling a lot of energy. My name is Luke, by the way. Uh, I'm on staff here at the Capitol Church. Glad that you're here, as always. Um, I, I woke up this morning feeling a lot of energy for some things. Uh, one is, uh, every time I wake up and I peek outside and it either is raining or has rained, uh, I think, you know what, this is really good for my grass. And so that was immediate, like, man, good morning. The grass is going to be growing. Side note, uh, I I've learned that the best time to plant new grass seed is early September, and I've done that this year. And so I have been faithfully watering, specifically my front yard. So every time it rains, I feel very excited about that. So I woke up and said, man, it's raining. The grass needs that. That's a great thing. Uh, I thought about last night and thought there was just criminal acts on national television when Ohio State played Wisconsin, and we just love to see it. Uh, it's even recorded. I might go back through and watch that level of assault that happens. Uh, so you, if you miss that, uh, again, we will keep you well informed. This is uh, becoming a very consistent thing. I, I really have to think of a new creative way to say Ohio State just laid the absolute beat down on a team. I, I, new and dynamic every week, but it seems like every week I'm saying the same thing. So that, that felt good, some energy this morning. Uh, I also had, once uh, I finished watching the game, I was on my way to bed and our like seven-month-old started screaming and crying, which usually means it's time for like Shaylin to go in there, feed her, she goes back down. Uh, and I said to Shaylin, hey, how about I go in there? Uh, because I don't all the time get to like see her waking up in the middle of the night. And so I went in there and grabbed her. And she was just like looking at my face, just screaming, totally unfazed. Uh, and so I went to bed a little disappointed, like, Annie, you're supposed to like love me too. You're supposed to, I'm speaking into her face like, no, 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 it's me, it's me. You're supposed to love me. Uh, she didn't want it. But this morning she started fussing a little bit and I went in there grabbed her, tried again, and we had a great, sweet little moment this morning. Uh, and so I was like, man, this morning is shaping up. Uh, I also felt like I'm excited because this is the last uh, Sunday here in our Values series, and I'm excited for where we've been. I'm excited about where we're going even today. Now, before we get there, I've mentioned that I'm uh, all about spoilers. In fact, if there's uh, a Google search that could get me information before I watch something on live television or some type of like reality show, I will do it. Uh, I, I don't care about spoilers. You can tell me what happens about anything and I'm here for it. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a teaser and spoiler of where we're going starting next week. Uh, we are gonna be starting a new series uh, that will last five weeks and the idea is for us to look at some people more towards the front of our Bible. So if, if you want to this week, warm up the front of your Bibles because we're gonna be spending some time there starting next week. Uh, we're gonna be looking at some different characters that were uncommon and the reason they were uncommon is for a variety of different reasons. Uh, the reason I'm excited to be talking about these things with a group of people uh, is because these people I think are gonna allow us to be infused with a lot of energy and confidence to keep moving in the right direction. I think regardless of how you come in here, what's important to you, your worldview, or your story, I think our next series called Uncommon is gonna be really helpful to us as a church. It's gonna last through October. So that's coming starting next week. Uh, let me catch us up a little bit as we enter week five of five in our value series. I've said multiple times from stage, and I still believe it, uh, any Sunday for this to be your first is a great Sunday. 
Um, specifically in our value series, it is helpful, even if this is your first time, uh, because what we're doing in this series is talking about the things that we value at the highest level. We want like no secrets, nothing behind the curtain that's hidden. We just want to say, hey, these are the things that are a value and a priority to us as an organization. And so we've taken one of our five values every single week. Let me, let me catch us up a little bit. Week one, we talked about the gospel, and here's what we say about it. That's risen to the highest level. Here's what we say. We believe that Jesus, who he is and what he's done for people, is the greatest news in the world. We honestly believe that. And so we value promoting and propelling that message. Everything we do at the deepest level, at the core of what we're trying to accomplish, is to get the message of Jesus as far and wide as we possibly can. I think if we're not accomplishing that, then it would honestly be better for us to shut this church down and give resources, time, and energy to a church that is accomplishing that. This is what we're trying to do. This is one of our values. We talked about that week one. Week two, we talked about neighboring. And here's what we say and what we mean by that. We believe that all people are made by God and loved by God, so we value leveraging our lives for the good of the people in our neighborhoods, workplaces, and wherever we do life. We honestly believe that every single human being has a infinite value, worth, and dignity that's given to them by God. Regardless of any distinct marker or label we could put on somebody, we believe there is value and worth there, and so we want to leverage everything we have to leverage for good to come to the people around us in our city and around the world, both physically and spiritually. We are working for the good of people. We call that neighboring here. That was week two, value two. Week three, we talked about becoming, and here's what we mean by that. We believe that the pathway to a flourishing life is becoming more like Jesus, so we value the process of spiritual development. Part of what Classroom Sessions is, is trying to get on the ground how somebody who would value becoming more like Jesus could actually step into that life. We want to get on the ground with you and help you do that and become more like him because we're convinced the more you can become like Jesus, the more you step into the flourishing life. And I don't mean that circumstantially. I don't mean income increases and in health and wellness. I'm talking about a flourishing life that's at the soul level, that following Jesus better allows me to step into a life where there's more non-circumstantial joy and peace and hope. Everything at the bottom of my soul is more and more satisfied the more I can look like Jesus. And so anything I can do in my week and in my day to create that movement in my life, I want to do that. We, we even talked about wanting to be violent towards this idea that spiritual information equals spiritual maturity. We want to kill that and say, no, no, we want to live lifestyles like Jesus lived, not just know the things that Jesus knew. That's becoming. That was week three. And then last week, week four, we talked about the next generation. And what we mean by that, specifically as it applies to college ministry, we say this. We believe that the university campus is one of the most strategic places for gospel ministry in the world, so we value reaching students through the Salt Company. We think the next generation was a value and a priority to Jesus. He wasn't exclusively about the next generation, but it was a value and a priority of his. And so we're saying, man, we're not exclusively about the next generation either, but it will be a value and it will be a priority of ours. And so we spent a lot of time, energy, and resources to reach, love, 
and then ultimately send students. That's what we want to do as a part of this church, and we will never stop doing that. If you're a student in the room, we love you, and we want to be here for you. We also apply this to Capital Kids. We want to be a church that values whoever is younger and not in your generation. We want to value them and bring value into their lives. This is valuing the next generation. Now, through all four of the weeks, one thing I always wanted to continue to lay before us is that we don't just want to say these are values because Jesus valued them and just keep them like metaphoric in the air. We wanted to say, man, Jesus valued and prioritized these things. Therefore, we value and prioritize these things. And then I wanted to peel back the curtain and say, this is why we do what we do. This is how this actually lands, this concept down for us as a particular local church here in Columbus. But we also wanted to push towards being the type of people who value these things as well and are marked by them. I think a win for us is not to just be an organization that values what Jesus valued, but to be people who call this place home that look like that outside this room primarily more than even what we look like in this room. We wanna be the types of people that do that out there. I feel like if somebody could accuse me at the end of my life of valuing these five things above everything else and leading this organization to value these things, that's accusations I can live with. I'm okay with that because we didn't sit down in a room and try and get as creative as we could with our most creative people to think about what should we uniquely value. We looked at the life and teaching of Jesus and the movement of the church in the Bible and said, okay, what do we need to value therefore then? What's gonna be important to us? Because it was important to Jesus and this is the list that we've come up with. This is the language that we're running with. Gospel, neighboring, becoming, next generation and today we talk about value five of five. Now, I'm at a station of my life where Brooks is now starting to eat the meals that Shaylin primarily, Shaylin exclusively makes for our family. So like Shaylin and I, for a lot of the last two and a half years, it's like we have a dinner and then we have like a separate dinner based upon the ages of the kids. Well, we're now in a space where Brooks is eating the meal we're eating and now Annie is starting to eat normal foods, and so she has like a different meal. And one of the things I feel like I'm fighting at dinner time every single night is Brooks looking at a way better meal than Annie has and then getting upset that he's not eating that. Like most recently, we have my favorite meal, which is this Italian sausage pasta thing that Shaylin makes. It's like I could have it every single night. Any Italian food, sign me up but specifically this one, it's, it's my absolute favorite. We're having that, and Brooks starts getting upset because he doesn't have the puffs that Annie is eating, which, grain-free, uh, beet and carrot-flavored puffs, and, I, and I'm looking at Brooks in the face and saying, listen, buddy, I love you, and I need you to trust. Don't concern yourself with that. What you have in front of you is infinitely better than what Annie is eating. Like, I, I, I sit there, I don't even know a lot of times. It's like a certain colored mash that there's a little spoon that Shaylin feeds Annie. It's like, I don't even care what that is because it's not as good as what I'm about to eat. And I'm trying to convince Brooks of this. Like, transfer your gaze off of that nonsense onto what's on your plate because it's better. 
what Jesus is about to do right at the end of his life is he's gonna try and take his closest friends and followers and say, hey, transfer your gaze. That should be unimportant to you. You should not be concerned with that and give your life to this. If you have a Bible, this is a great time to grab it and turn to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one is in the back third of your Bible. As always, there's Jacob out. Well, Jacob isn't always the one, but there is somebody out at the connect table named Jacob who would love to hand you a Bible if you don't have one on your way out. You don't need to give us information, phone numbers, uh, emails. We don't need any of that stuff. Just grab one on your way out if you want. Uh, Acts chapter one is the best place to be as we start here this morning. Uh, now, lay a little bit of a foundation. At this point in the life of Jesus, he has come, he's lived his life, he's been arrested and murdered, he's risen from the dead, and now he's spending a little time with his closest friends and followers before he leaves them forever. They ask him a question that's gonna lead him to say some really important things about where their gaze and concern should be. And it's in Acts 1. Let's look in and see what Jesus asked to say to his friends and followers. Verse 6 is where we're gonna start. Here's the situation. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? This is the, like, the, I, I want grain-free beet and carrot puffs. And Jesus is like, no, no, no let, let me fix your gaze. Verse seven, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know. Like, forget about that. Focus on what I'm about to say, starting in verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's gonna be a supernatural power that's gonna be the engine to accomplish the mission he's about to speak to them. So he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission that is supposed to consume his friends and followers from this point forward is to expand the message of who he is and what he's done for humanity to the ends of the earth. These guys are in Jerusalem and what Jesus is saying is, listen, this message is here to transform the world and lead anybody and everybody into life. But Jesus could die a thousand times and it wouldn't matter if nobody heard about it. And so he's saying, here's the mission. Don't worry, don't be looking to the side. Your gaze should be on the mission that more people need to be exposed. Start that here in Jerusalem. People need that. The message needs to transform this city and then allow it to move forward to Judea and let it multiply there, and then take it to Samaria, and let it multiply there and to the ends of the earth. Don't stop this. This is the mission. It shouldn't have surprised his closest friends and followers that Jesus is laying down a lifelong mission because they've spent enough time with him to know that Jesus is a mission-driven man. And at this point in his life, these guys have been around Jesus enough to know that there was a mission that totally controlled his decision-making, that consumed him, 
that was going to be unwavering and unchanging. Jesus was a mission-driven man. They watched him step into a scene. They watched him do things that even caused his mission to be a little bit confusing because he starts healing people. He starts serving people. He starts using his power and his influence to lead to life and flourishing for the people around him. Yet that was just a piece. Jesus lived perfectly. He was perfectly clean and perfectly righteous and perfectly holy, yet that was just a piece. Jesus was on mission to ultimately be the man who could make this outrageous exchange that he could live a life to bring all the spiritual value possible and instead of stepping into that himself, transfer that onto the account of sinful people so he could have their mess and their consequences transferred onto him. This is the worst trade that's ever happened in humanity. Yet this was always the mission of Jesus. Come here to live perfectly so that he could die and transfer all of that onto broken humanity. This was the mission. And yet he's accomplished that. And they walked with him through all of that. And so he steps in at the last moment and says, here's where you're to move from here on out. Don't don't concern yourself with things that don't matter. Here's the mission. Run here. It's unchanging. It's unwavering. There's a famous quote It says, oh man, failure to me is being highly successful at that which does not matter. You want to waste your life, be highly successful at that which does not matter. Jesus is trying to keep people from that. Run in this lane. Don't, Don't be concerned. There's a mission. Be about the mission. This is how Jesus leads them. And the engine that's going to power all of this It's not impressive gifting. It's not dynamic charisma. It's not even great leaders who have a great mission. The engine that's going to power the mission forward is divine power in the Holy Spirit. Like, Like he's saying to this group of people, you can't even as broken people who are moderately gifted screw this up. You can't even screw it up. There's an engine that you can't affect positively or negatively that's going to drive this thing forward. More people need to know. Jesus is saying about what he's done and who he is and what that means for humanity. This is the mission before them, unwavering and unchanging. That like Jesus, every decision they make from this point forward needs to be through the lens of, does this better help me accomplish what Jesus lays before his followers? Now, when I was in college, uh, I played on the basketball team and One of the things I hated the most about that was we used to get signed up for these like community projects all throughout the year. So it would just be like, you know, we would get a text and it was like, you've got to do this thing for this group of people. And so as a team, we would have to show up into these places and do all kinds of crazy things. Worst experience, hands down, uh, was we got told, you're going to go to this lady's house and you're gonna put all of her stuff into a moving truck. Like she's gonna be moving and you need to go help her with it. And so like 15 grown men show up at this lady's house and when I, when I get there, the first thing I notice is that there is no moving truck. And so I think to myself, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I was kind of hoping like it was the wrong day and we could just go home. 
Uh, but we get there and she says, first thing, she comes out of the house and says to the group of us, uh, how many of you are older than 25? And it's like, none of us. Like, this is clearly a group of college men. None of us are 25. And she says, I need somebody to go pick up the moving truck. And I think in this moment, like, you don't have the moving truck. Like, we're, we're, we're going to be doing that for you as well. So she grabs a group of guys. She goes and gets the moving truck. Before she does that, she walks us into her house. That's this beautiful, huge home. And I, I walk in. The next thing I notice is that this is like they've been living unfaced. Nothing is packed. Uh, th there's not boxes. It's just like everything is like normal. And she says to us, so uh, we need to get all this stuff in boxes and then in the truck and I'm gonna go pick up the truck. And I think to myself, this is a joke. Um, I don't wanna do this for one second. I'm starting to have a bad attitude. I also think nobody actually enjoys helping other people move. So if you're one of those people, I know what's going on in your spirit and praise God for you because I know you don't wanna be there either. Uh, but we walk in there and she's like, okay, we'll be back in a little bit. She leaves to go pick up the truck. And so now I'm standing there like, Okay, best case scenario, we get through this super fast. And so the strategy became, let's organize ourselves into some groups. Like a group of guys is gonna take stuff and pack it into boxes, which for the health of her things is just a bad call. Uh, college guys just like, yeah, I don't know, this probably fits in here, you know, shoving stuff into boxes. That's one team. Another team is taking those boxes and bringing them outside to another team that's there waiting for the truck to get here who will then take those things and put it into the moving truck. Terrible strategy, uh, took literally all day and most of the night, and she bought us McDonald's after as a way of saying thank you, and it was like, I don't even want this. So, you know, the whole day is absolutely ruined. Uh, here, here's what's interesting. Later in Acts 1, where you have your Bible opened to right now, it lets us know that at day one of the church beginning, 2,000 years ago, there was 120 people that were compelled by what Jesus had done for them and willing to leverage whatever they needed to leverage so that more people could get in on the grace they found in Jesus. This is not like a, their projects. This is a, man, you've got to get in on this grace. You've got, you've got to get in on this good news. And what's interesting is that the mission was before them, unchanged and unwavering, and so the strategy that was created by Jesus to accomplish the mission is to create what he calls the local church. What's interesting is that the local church wasn't created and then infused with a mission. The mission was there, and then they had to come up with a strategy. What's the best way for us to accomplish the mission? And Jesus created the local church to do that. Well, like we had to form groups of saying, I mean, we gotta get all of this nonsense into boxes and into the trucks so we can go home. The best way we know how to do that is just create groups and we can move on from this. What Jesus is saying is the mission's here. So the local church was created as the strategy to accomplish that, which means if there's a local church that's not on mission, it doesn't even make sense. It's the purpose of the church. There's a pastor named J.D. Greer who says this, I think is very insightful. He says, without a mission, without the mission, a church is not a church. It's just a group of disobedient followers of Jesus hanging out. 
Like if we're not about the mission as a local church, then what are we doing? Because this is created so that the message of Jesus could go to the ends of the earth. In fact, we're so compelled by this that it's this passage of your Bible that led us to name this church what we named it. The earliest days, the message of Jesus radically transformed people. And it led them to take this message into Jerusalem, their capital city, and then spread it from there to the ends of the earth. And our ambition as a church is to take that same message and press it into transformation in our capital city here, but to the ends of the earth as well. From the capital to the ends of the earth, that's our ambition, that's the mission. We're gonna be unwavering at that. We're gonna move towards it. One of the values of our church, we would say, is multiplication. And and here's what we mean when we say multiplication. We believe in God's mission to forward the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. This is what he said. Be my witnesses, talk about who I am and what I've done. Bring it to the edges of the earth. We believe in that mission, and so we value multiplying leaders, groups, and churches underneath everything we're gonna do. Let me pop the hood, pull back the curtain. What are we up to as a local church? No secrets. We wanna see what happens in the lives of followers of Jesus multiply, not only within these four walls. We're not mainly just concerned with what happens here because we think the mission's beyond that. It's bigger than that. So we wanna multiply leaders and groups and churches. That's where we're driving with everything that we do. That is a value that has risen to the top place. We're uninterested in creating a church with a defensive mindset. We're uninterested in creating a church that's insulated and isolated. We're uninterested in creating a church that wants to like disinfect itself in its own Christian bunker. We are interested in the church Jesus created to be offensive-minded and plunder the kingdom of darkness to be moving out, not just protecting from within. Like out there, occupying all streets so that more people could be brought into the life that comes with Jesus. We wanna be multiplying our efforts. This is a value that has risen to one of the highest places in our church, multiplication from the capital to the ends of the earth. This is what we're driving for. Now, I wanna help us connect the mission with the term multiplication. I wanna help talk about it so we can land it a little bit. What do we mean? Because we're not just saying we're mission-driven, which we are, but we're talking multiplication specifically. Why do we use that language? I wanna read you something that Jesus says at a different part of your Bible in Luke 10 too. Here's a statement that Jesus makes. You can turn there, but you don't have to. Let me read it for you. Jesus says this, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. Here's what Jesus is saying. There is a field that is the world, and and right now billions of people out in the field. And what Jesus wants to expose to his friends and followers is that is a great field out there. But the amount of people who know, love, and follow Jesus are few. And so it's the mission of the few to take that message to the ends of the earth so more could have it. 
And to do that, what happens is somebody's transformed and overwhelmed by who Jesus is and what he's done. They can't help keep it to themselves. So they're talking to other people, pulling people in on the grace found in Jesus. And then once those people are overwhelmed, they're going back out into the field. And what Jesus is saying in his language is the harvest out there is worth your life. Leverage everything you have. It's great out there and the workers are few. So start multiplying. Start getting after it. I want to tell you a story of a man that exemplifies what can happen when at the foundation of a person in an organization is, I want to see more people in on what Jesus has done. I want to replicate, maybe, maybe even as a church, we want to raise up workers and send them out, create armies willing to step into the fight because the souls of the people they love are at stake, not defensive-minded, not insulated-minded. Enter the fight so more can know, love, and follow Jesus. There was a man named Adoniram Judson who in 1813 was so overwhelmed by what Jesus had done in his life that at his 25-year-old man, he's famously known as the first person in the United States to decide to leave the United States as a follower of Jesus because he was convinced that the fields were worth leveraging his life so that more people could be exposed to Jesus. And so in 1813, he leaves and goes to Burma. And once he gets there, he's down on the ground trying to pull people in on the grace and the goodness that he's found in Jesus. And it takes him 13 years of just grinding to have a small group of people that would claim to be followers of Jesus to even identify themselves as a local church. But once he had that, the foundation of multiplication was laid and unleashed. From this moment, 13 years to create a small group of people, but within 10 years from there, they could identify 7,000 followers of Jesus in Burma. And then 10 years after he died, which was in 1850, a study was done in Burma that revealed 210,000 confessing followers of Jesus. Within a lifetime, he goes to a country that has no access to the message of Jesus, but he's convinced if they knew it, they would give their life to follow him. And so he gets there willing to multiply himself, willing to get that message into other people's hands and then raise them up to send them back out. And within a lifetime, you go from one follower of Jesus stepping into life to over 200,000 in one country in particular that are now leveraging their lives to see more. This is what happens when a small group of people, like Acts 1, speaks of 120 on day one, saying, I'm convinced that who Jesus is and what he's done is such good news that I'll leverage anything and everything I have to multiply this out. That's why Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you're gonna be my witnesses everywhere. Talk about who I am and what I have done. It's gonna start in Jerusalem because that's where you're at and then it's gonna spread through Judea and then even going to Samaria and from there to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' mind, there's no such thing as one of his followers who's at the same time disengaged with mission. You can't not be engaged in multiplication and at the same time be a follower of Jesus. That, that doesn't make sense. 
We can't be a local church disengaged in the mission and also call ourselves a local church. This was the strategy Jesus created to accomplish the mission. We don't have the right to create our own mission. Jesus laid it down before his followers. This is what you're to be about. This is what you're to value and prioritize. Multiply the message of Jesus from the capital to the ends of the earth. This is what we're up to at the deepest level. Now, one of the things we've done as a church, every, every time I've talked about one of our values is I wanted to bring us into what we do and why we do it as a church because I don't want us to talk about things that are important and valuable to Jesus and just say, yeah, yeah, yeah us too. Uh, I wanna say yes to us valuing and prioritizing these things and I wanna show you what we mean by that and where we're actually valuing and prioritizing these things. We don't just wanna give words to it. We wanna be the type of church that values that also in action. And so again, the statement that we say is we believe in God's mission to forward the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So we value multiplying leaders, groups, and churches. Let me break down what we mean by that. Leaders, we think a leader has the ability to impact so many lives. A leader committed to the right things under the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus describes in Acts 1 can, can change the world for the better. Uh, we've seen that in Adoniram Judson. And so we wanna say, man, we, we hope one leader in this church multiplies to two leaders and then those two leaders would even multiply into four leaders. And so what we're doing behind the scenes is we're just trying to raise up leaders willing to leverage their life for the good of other people. And Jesus has even set a standard of what it looks like to lead. Nobody's beyond leadership. Nobody's under leadership because everybody's able to serve and love the person next to them. So leadership's something any of us can step into. We wanna see that multiply out because we think lives are changed when leaders are leading for the good of people. And so we wanna see leaders raised up and multiplied. We wanna see groups multiplying. We have what's called city groups in our church. The purpose of city groups is that our city would find genuine community and life-giving care, both physically and spiritually in these groups. And our hope is that city groups would grow to the point where then they would multiply into two. And then those two would grow and multiply into four because we want more and more people in on the community and the care that comes with city groups. That's, that's what we're up to behind the curtain. I wanna see groups multiplied and healthy. And then lastly, we wanna see churches multiplied. We actually here want to be the type of church that starts other churches, other places. We wanna give time, energy, and resources to see local churches every corner of the world as healthily as we can plant them as possible. We wanna be a church that's not just measured by seating capacity, but sending capacity. We wanna be a church that's more concerned with being a mother church than a mega church. We wanna use time, energy, and resources to see more churches turned out. Now, if you're familiar with our particular network, there are 403 major university targets. We would love to see a local church planted there and a college ministry started. We want to, as quickly as we can, start those churches all across the world, all across the United States. We also wanna start churches that maybe even don't have college ministries. Maybe other places in our city or other places in our country that need them or internationally in places that need them. We wanna multiply churches. Now, just to bring you full in, no secrets, 
uh, I kind of see what we're doing in three phases. Uh, Phase one is we're a church plant. That's the phase we're currently in. And our eyes are on becoming a healthy and established church, which would be phase two. We get there when we have some local leadership that's been raised up and is leading within that staff and non-staff. We get to healthy and established when financially we're in a position to fully self-sustain ourselves just from local people here. And once we get there, our aspiration then is for our eyes to become on phase three, which is ascending church. I would love to see us starting churches and sending people out to take the mission to other places as quickly as we can do in a healthy way. I would love to get to the place where we're starting a new church within every three years, another one we're starting, and another one we're starting, and another one we're starting, maybe even quicker than that. I want us to be multiplying leaders, groups, and churches because we think the mission is too important to be content and casual about. And we think God is up to more than just what's happening here in Columbus, and we think the harvest is also outside of this city, and so we want to send laborers into it because Jesus calls us to do that. He calls us to value it and prioritize it, and so we're saying, yes, we want to do that. Sometimes for us, that may mean sending some of our best. It may mean for us sending some primary and premier leaders within our church. It may be for us sending some who are maybe even in our own personal family because we're convinced leveraging what we can leverage for the mission out there is worth our lives. It's worth our time and our resources and our energy as an organization. This is how some of this lands for us. When we say multiplication, that's what we're up to behind the scenes. Now, one of the things we've done at every value we've talked about is not just say, hey, organizationally, here's what we want to be true, but we also want the people who call the Capital Church home to also live a lifestyle that values these things, and multiplication is also one of those. We want people to be what we value here out of the doors primarily, not even just what happens here. Uh, If you're a parent and a follower of Jesus or you want to be a parent at some day that is a follower of Jesus, I wanna say something really quick to you because there's some really interesting language in Psalm 127 as it relates to parents and their kids. Here's a statement in Psalm 127. It says, children born to young parents are like arrows in the warrior's hands, which means the role of parents who are followers of Jesus is to pull back the string and the bow of that bow and arrow to shoot that arrow into the mission. Children aren't called trophies to protect and dust off and put up on the shelf and make sure they're all safe and behind the locked doors. They're arrows to be shot into the mission. It's a specific language used by God to communicate one of the roles of a parent to be a multiplier. And maybe for you, as a parent, your primary place to run at multiplication is in your home. It's creating dangerous and lethal arrows that can go plunder a kingdom of darkness out there. Now, this isn't in my notes. Maybe somebody will tell me after I shouldn't have gone here. Um, But but I, I wanna be really honest with some things that Shaylin and I have even felt as parents, because I, I'm, I'm unconcerned 
about Brooks and Annie just, just being protected in the little bubble. I want them to be so dangerous as followers of Jesus that they're willing to leverage anything and everything, which has led me to say statements like, I would rather Brooks come home in high school and talk about how his girlfriend is pregnant than I would want him to be just safe and in this Christian world not caring about the lostness around him. I would rather things happen in Brooks's life that would lead him to be overwhelmed with what Jesus has done in his life and convinced his life is worth leveraging so that other people can have access to the grace he's found in Jesus. I would rather that story than just somebody who's safe and comfortable in home and's never gonna leave Ohio and Columbus because we just want him around. I wanna create arrows and send them out. I want our church to be dangerous, filled with weapons, willing to be on offense, not defense, willing to get out there. A couple of us were just at a university this week talking to some leadership because they say, hey, we've got a thousand graduating seniors who are followers of Jesus and we just wanna see them be arrows. And you know the conversation we had? They, they say, without question, the biggest hurdle to these graduating seniors in college without question leveraging their life for the mission is their parents. They say without question that's the biggest hurdle. Because mom and dad a lot of times are followers of Jesus who would rather their kids just attend church on Sunday, get a great job, have a great living and stay within the state. Stay local, be around grandkids not thinking, how can I draw this arrow back and shoot it into the mission because it's worth that kid's life? God has been good enough to me and good enough to so many in here for us to be open-handed with what he would not only have for our lives but the lives of those we love. We should be willing. Say, God, this is yours. You wanna use my house, use it. You wanna use my money, use it. You wanna use my kids, use them. I just wanna create arrows because I wanna see this message multiply to the ends of the earth. This is what we're up to. And if you're just a follower of Jesus who doesn't have kids, doesn't want kids, what's interesting is the mission that Jesus laid before his friends and followers was not to be part of a church that cares about multiplication, but to be a multiplier. It's just not good enough to be a follower of Jesus who's like, man, I'm so glad I go to a church that cares about these things and I can maybe even give my time, energy, and resources to it. It's not good enough. He's saying to this group of people, you need to be a multiplier. This is your mission. And I'm gonna create the local church to continue to infuse this into the world, to raise them up and send them out. This is what we're up to. This is the mission in front of anybody who would call themselves a follower of Jesus, and I would say, even if you call this place home, this is what we're up to. When we say we value multiplication, we may even push people to leave here, to not create attendance and, and butts in seats, but to say, man, we want arrows out there more than we just want comfortability in here. This is what we're up to. Let me, let me pray for us. God, being a multiplying church, honestly, can, can feel scary. It, it at times would take resources from us and gifts 
away from us, it feels like, and sending out our best or sending the kids that we've raised in love and want close into the fight. I can feel like a risk and it can feel scary, but I hope what you remind me of and you remind us of is that you're, you're an owner of all of this. This is your church to accomplish your mission. Brooks and Annie are kids that you have given me. They're yours. I just, I just want to steward what you've given me to multiply it in the right direction, that you would get glory from it, that more would know, love, and follow Jesus because I've lived my life. That would more would, would know, love, and follow Jesus because this church existed. God, would you lead us to be open-handed with what is yours? We could leverage anything and everything for your glory and your kingdom, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.